You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. On this Friday, June the 18th, another, another day with the Wise Guys crew, myself, Mr. Trey Larkins, and Clarence Dixon. What's up, Clarence? Happy Friday, brother. Happy Friday to you. Everybody remember going to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore It's also on Facebook, Wise Guys. So, Clarence, it is Friday. We got a lot of NBA playoff action tonight. Right now, we got the Sixers and the Hawks facing off against each other in Atlanta. Right now, the Hawks lead the Sixers 29 to 28. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, 29 to 22. I'm, I would have that wrong. So, the Sixers facing elimination or trailing the Atlanta Hawks by seven as they head into the second quarter down in the A. But we got an action jam pack show ahead. We're going to talk about Matt Nagy. He says Andy Dalton will be his week one starter. Me and Clarence will give you our opinion on the Bears quarterback competition in Chicago. Also, later on the show, we're going to talk about Kimball Walker. He has been traded, Clarence, to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Al Horford is also in that deal. We'll talk about that as well. Also, we're going to talk about later on the show, Paul George, magnificent performance in game five for the Clippers. Clippers lead that series three games two. They're going to play in L.A. tonight. The Jazz facing elimination. You know, so we got a lot of things we're going to talk about tonight on the show. We got an action jam-packed show ahead. But we begin in the Eastern Conference as the Milwaukee Bucks beat the Brooklyn Nets 104-89. to The series is now tied at three games apiece. We have a game seven upon us Saturday night in Brooklyn, Clarence. I'm excited about it. Those are the two best words in sports, game seven. In game six, Giannis, he dropped 30 points. Shot 12 of 20 from the floor, 17 rebounds. Chris Middleton, he had 38 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists. For the Brooklyn Nets, Kevin Durant had 32 points. Harden dropped 16. So, Clarence, your Bucks got the win in game six. They even up the series. What was your reaction to the Bucks winning game six in Milwaukee? That's how you win a basketball game, right? That's how you guard Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant had 32 points. That's, that's like... That's not regular Kevin Durant. 30 points him is nothing, but lower him down over under 35 points straight. Giannis did a great job. And Chris Middleton, he was big. 38 points. He shot five and eight from the three-point line. 10 rebounds and five assists. He was on his eight game. And he only missed five shots. Yeah. I was so I was so impressed that the that the Bucs they get to defend home court. And Giannis, he was just playing aggressive. He didn't even take no, he didn't even shoot, uh, have no three-point attempt. So you know this game was kind of personal. You know, he had to show them like why he's a two-time MVP and a defensive player of the year, like like he had to show them guys. And then the thing, the thing they, they like Drew Holiday, he played well on hard and he neutralized him. Although he had 16.7 assists and five rebounds, he neutralized him to a part to a point that like he he, he couldn't be too much involved with the game. And the the, the Bucks, they played great defensively. They they had Joe Harris, Blake Griffin out of sync. They did a good job defensively. They, they kept up with the scoring. Like, this is something that we should expect from the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, when they lost, when they lost Kyrie, they, they, they lost a key score. And once they lost a key score, the Milwaukee Bucks took advantage of that and started, you know, putting up numbers with them. So a big shout-out to the uh, Milwaukee Bucks. And we, I'm so stoked for Game 7 because Game 7 is going to mean a lot. Can you knock off Kevin Durant and the Brooklyn Nets and make the conference final? Yeah, for me, I, I got to give credit to – the Bucks' big three in this matchup. Chris Middleton, he had 38 points, you know, 10 rebounds. Giannis dropped 30 points. He had 17 rebounds. And, and Drew Holiday, he had 21 points. So when your big three combined to score 89 of the 104 points, usually that means a win for your team. So mm-hmm. I want to give a, a, a big shout-out to the Bucks' big three. They stepped up, you know, when, when called upon in this game, you know, facing elimination. 
all the pressure in the world, you know, facing them, you know, going up against the Brooklyn Nets team who's wounded right now. So yeah. the Bucks are the favorites to win this series. You know, Kevin Durant just put on a masterful performance in game five. So you know Kevin Durant's ready to send them home. And Holiday, Giannis, and Middleton both stepped up, you yeah. know, in game six in a big way. And when I, I want to talk about Giannis because he is shooting 64% from the two in this series. He shot 64%. You know, from two point, you know, shooting the two in the regular season as well. Mm-hmm. So I think Giannis is doing a great job of doing what he does best. Like last night in the game, Clarence, he didn't shoot any threes, and I think that's a recipe for success for the Milwaukee Bucks when Giannis isn't settling because when he settles, he plays right into the defense, yeah. and when he attacks the rim and does what he does best, he puts pressure on the Brooklyn Nets defensively, and they didn't have any answers for Giannis last night. Giannis went 11 of 15 in the lane. He only took five shots outside of the paint. And he again, he didn't attempt not one three-point shot, yeah. you know, for the Brooklyn, for the Milwaukee Bucks all night. So I thought that, that was a, you know, a key factor in the Milwaukee Bucks winning this game. And again, Chris Middleton, he had 38 points. I felt like whenever the Nets went on a run in this game, Chris Middleton answered the call with a key shot that pushed the Bucks, you know, over the Nets, and ultimately, that's what I think the difference was in this game. I thought the Nets, as we went into the fourth quarter, they had a chance. They were down by like four or five points, and then Chris Middleton got fouled on a three-point attempt by Joe Harris. I don't know what the hell Joe Harris was thinking. Yeah. Joe Harris has been off. Okay, he's been completely off. He made a three, you know, he made a three that cut the lead to, I believe, five. Yeah. And then, for whatever reason, he fouls Chris Middleton on a three-point attempt, and Chris Middleton goes to the free-throw line, he hits three straight free throws, and the Bucks go on a 14-0 run after that play. So I think that was a key moment in game six for the Bucks. And again, Joe Harris, that was a bonehead play. He, he really, he, I don't know what he was thinking, but I think the Bucks, like again, played well last night, especially with all the pressure, you know, that they had coming on them before this game. So let me ask you this, you know, how impressive you personally was with Chris Middleton's performance, like alone? Yeah, I think Chris Middleton individually did a great job in this game. You know, he had 38 points, shot five of eight from three-point range, you know, 11 of 16 from the floor overall, and he hit his free throws. Last yeah. night, he shot 11 of 12 from the free throw line. So, you know, I thought he did a great job at closing for the Milwaukee Bucks. I think on this Milwaukee Bucks team, in order for them to reach their ultimate goal, they need Chris Middleton to play at an elite level and elevate right. his game from star to superstar. Fact. And I think that's what it's going to take for them to possibly get to an NBA Finals and win an NBA championship. It's not going to be about Giannis. As great as Giannis is, I believe on this team, especially in the closing moments of games, Chris Middleton has to elevate his game by hitting the premier shot, you know, getting to the free throw line, knocking down his free throws, and also getting to the rim and finishing. So I think Chris Middleton overall did an outstanding job in game six, leading this team in the scoring department. Yeah, I agree too, though, Trey. Like, 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 like you said, a few days ago, Chris Middleton is the Milwaukee Bucks closer. Yeah, like he's their closer, and I, and I think he's starting to embrace the, the like break, embrace it, like yeah. because he sees that how easy the shots could, could flow, how how Giannis put him in position to you know 
to score at this elite level. And I agree with you. I think Chris Middleton, he definitely needs to like play at this elite level because it's because he's he's a second option on his team and he's the number one closer. So when when the old team depend on you to like come in for that, you need to, you know, you need to be playing at elite level. So I think 38 points is special. And he had a great game. Don't get me wrong though, but the consistency of having good games needs to show. So this was a good one. So game seven, it has to be, it has to be a repeat of this. It had to be something close because this is this is win a good win big go home. And when you playing when you rather play in game seven, everything is on the line. Yeah. And like it, it doesn't matter if you five for 16, seven for 25, like as long as you're putting up baskets and you're you're putting your players, your teammates in position to score and win, like that's all that matters. So don't worry about the statistics, like just just play this game. And I think when he's focused, the whole team is gonna be right behind. Yeah, I agree with you. Also for the Milwaukee Bucks, though, as they headed to game seven, Clarence, they have to shoot better from three-point range. They shot yeah. seven of 33, which was 21% in game six. Drew Holiday, he was one of 10 from three-point range. What are you doing, Drew Holiday? Yeah. You are not hitting the perimeter shot effective. Shooting mm-hmm. one of 10 isn't going to cut it. And I believe, Clarence, that was one of the reasons why the, the, the Brooklyn Nets had a chance to steal this game yesterday in game six. That left the door open for them because the Milwaukee Bucks are still shooting perimeter shots. You're shooting seven of 33 from the, from the perimeter. I believe the Milwaukee Bucks have the advantage on the interior. You have, you know, Brooke Lopez, who's seven, seven feet tall. You have Giannis, who's 6'11". The Brooklyn Nets have no rim protector in right now. They don't have no rim protector in. So I think you should attack the paint, attack the interior, and get to the free throw line. I think the Milwaukee Bucks as a team settled for jump shots too much. And it almost came back to bite them, you know, in this matchup. So I think heading into game seven, Mike Boonehoser needs to put an emphasis on this team, you know, attacking the Brooklyn Nets well, on the interior. That's my biggest issue well, with them overall, you know, as a team. They have to, let's you know, do that. Yeah. So let me ask you this. How big is game seven for Kevin Durant? Game seven for Kevin Durant is huge. I think. You know, it's huge from the standpoint of if he's able to pull this off, I believe that this is something that he can add to his resume as being, you know, something he can look back on as a, in a positive way. Because I believe, you know, throughout his career, he has played with, you know, Steph Curry. He's played with Klay Thompson. You know, he's played with Russell Westbrook. And for him to be able to elevate the Brooklyn Nets to the Eastern Conference Finals, you know, without – Kyrie Irving yeah. with a hobble, James Harden would be a, a great achievement, you know, for Kevin Durant. And I think it's Outside. a major accomplishment that he'll be able to add to his resume, getting them to these conference finals. So I think he's playing with house money though, because most people believe the Milwaukee Bucks should win this series. So because people believe the Milwaukee Bucks should win this series, I think Kevin Durant's playing with house money. I think he's going to show up in Game Seven in a big way. And again, I think if he's able to pull this off. This would be a major accomplishment you know, in his career. Yeah, I agree. She's outside. Go outside, open the door. So I, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say I'm gonna say this. I'm going to say this, too. I'm going to say this, too. I'm going to say this, too. I think this game seven is big for Captain Grant because, yeah. you know, he had history that that he uh he had, like, he had failed game seven and he had success game seven. So I think it's important for him to close out. It's important for him to close out game seven. It's like close out the Milwaukee Bucks because this team is starting to, you know, catch their trail. Catch the trail of winning, right? And and if he can't let them get on track by having a consistent trying to get back in the game, and and I and I think that when when he's when he's on his when he's on his game, he's gonna get he's gonna you gonna get the best out of him. 
Yeah. So it's, it's important for him to, like, you know, to come up. Because if he don't come up, we going to be in the media like, wow, Kevin Durant didn't come up against the Milwaukee Bucks that everybody thinks Giannis is overrated. But this is huge for Kevin Durant. Uh, see, I, th- I think it's huge, but only from the standpoint of him being able to add to his resume. I think Kevin Durant's playing with house money because I think most people believe once Kyrie Irving went down with the ankle injury and you saw James Harden come back, hobble, you know, he's compromised. I was like last night in the game, James Harden, he he had the ball in his hands 18% of the of the game, which, you know, for two years, he led the NBA in usage rate, you yeah. know. So yeah. for him to only have the ball in his hands, 18% of the possessions for the Brooklyn Nets tells me that James Harden is compromised. Okay, James Harden, if you notice, he's not attacking the paint with the you know intensity that we're used to seeing him attack the paint with. That tells me he's still hobbled. So I believe Kevin Durant, honestly, is playing with house money at this point because without, you know, Kyrie Irving and with the hobbled James Harden, I believe the Milwaukee Bucks are the favorites in this series. They're the favorites. So, you know, I think Kevin Durant's playing with house money, but I do think it's something that he can add to his resume if he's able to elevate the Brooklyn Nets because in previous years, he's had Steph Curry to rely on. He's had Clay Thompson to rely on. You know, when he was Oklahoma City, he had Reggie Jackson to rely on. He had Russell Westbrook to rely on. You know, he had James Harden at one point to rely on. If he can elevate this Brooklyn Nets team to the Eastern Conference Finals, I believe it's a major accomplishment for him at this point in his career. Let me ask you a quick question. Do you believe the Milwaukee Bucks can win this series? No, I do not. Wait, even though Kyrie is going to be out, you said, like, when Kyrie went down, they, like – they, the Bucks had a strong chance to win this, win the game. Yeah, but I believe after watching Game Five and seeing how Kevin Durant played an all-around game and got all of his teammates involved, I believe Kevin Durant is going to put on a clinic in Game Seven. I believe he's going to put on an all-time great playoff performance in Game Seven in Brooklyn because I think in Game Six, Clarence, I think Kevin Durant ran out of gas. I think that's what happened in Game Six. He ran out of gas. And he didn't attack the paint like he did in previous games. Like he only shot two free throws in game six. That tells me that he didn't have his legs, you know, in game six. He was shooting a lot of perimeter shots. Now, Kevin Durant still can make his perimeter shots. I mean, he still had, what did he have? What, uh, 32 points? He still shot 50% from the floor. So he still was efficient, you know. But I believe in game seven, Kevin Durant is going to elevate his game to another level like he did in game five. And after watching game five and game six, I think the Nets, if they can get some production from their role players like Joe Harris, like Jeff Green, like Blake Griffin, I believe the Brooklyn Nets have a chance to pull out the upset over the Milwaukee Bucks in game seven at the Barclays Center on, on tomorrow night. I believe it happened. Okay, who wins game seven? And I looked at the Vegas threat. The Brooklyn Nets are favored by literally one, one, one point. So who you got winning game seven? I just told you, I think Kevin Durant and the Brooklyn Nets are going to pull out a victory over Giannis and the Milwaukee Bucks at the Barclays Center tomorrow night in Brooklyn. I think Kevin Durant is going to outperform Giannis and Chris Middleton both. I think he's going to put on an all-time great performance. I think he's going to have a similar game in game seven like he had in game five. And I think we're going to get better production from the role players like Joe Harris, like Jeff Green, like Blake Griffin, like Bruce Brown, because you know, you know what they say? In the playoffs, the role players play better at home. Yeah. You know, I think that was the reason why the Nets lost game six, because last night, Blake Griffin shot one of four from three-point range. Okay, Jeff Green, 
In game five, he shot seven of eight from three-point range. Yeah. He had 27 points. In game six, Jeff Green only had one of four from three-point range defense. Yeah. And so Joe Harris, what did he do? One of four from three-point range. He's been god-awful in this series, man. Like, he's been very, very bad. I think I looked up a stat earlier that look, – listen to this. This is a statistic for everyone, okay? We all know how bad of a shooter Ben Simmons is. In his last 27 three-point attempts, this is the regular season and playoffs combined. Joe Harris has the same amount of three-point shots that he's made as Ben Simmons. They both have made five three-point shots. They both have missed 22 three-point shots. So they both shoot 18% from three-point range. That's Joe Harris and Ben Simmons. <laughs> Joe, we're talking about a great shooter in Joe Harris, okay? He's known for his shooting. Yeah. At one point, he won a three-point contest, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. and he's shooting awful with the likes of Ben Simmons. If you shoot like Ben Simmons, there's a problem. And I think, like, the Bucks, if the only way they're pulling out this game seven, they got to have that same energy they had in game six. You know, Prince Middleton, he, he, he is in need to have a big game yeah. because Giannis can't, Giannis can't put up, like, 30 and 15 points at the same time while Chris Middleton put up 22. So I think that Chris Middleton has to play a, have, have a big game in this series in order to, for, to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals. Now, I will say this, though. The Bucks, they they haven't won. They have they haven't been good on the road against the Nets this season. So they think is when they when they build the league, they get lazy on defense and lazy in transition, yeah. and they don't rebound as much as they should rebound. So in order for them to win that game, they have to rebound. They have to they have to score in transition points. They they have to play defense up the par because you can't you can't let James Harden or Kevin Durant. Get a, get a hot streak going because James Harden can score like Kevin Durant. I believe so. He can score yeah. just like him. So if you have him going and and Kevin Durant is having a solid game, that like the Bucs is in trouble. So if I had to be honest, though, I am picking the Nets, though, because like Kevin Durant, like you don't bet against Kevin Durant. What? I, I, no, no, not at the Bucs. I said the Nets. My bad. Excuse me. Excuse me. You picking the Bucs or Nets? I got the Nets. Excuse oh. me. My bad. Excuse me. I, I am picking the Nets, though, because you don't bet against Kevin Durant. And I think it's going to be an exciting game to watch. You can go see a, probably a high-scoring game. I hope it go to overtime. You should get the like, you should get the best out of these two. If Giannis and Kate and Chris Middleton is playing their game, it's a possibility they can steal it, though. But I don't see it too much in Brooklyn. What? Are you kidding me? You got I said, the Bucks? I mean, wait, you got the Nets winning this game? Yeah, game seven. Are you serious? Wait a minute. So you're I, telling me I got the Nets winning game seven. I cannot believe this. You actually telling me that you got the Nets beating the, the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis, a guy who you believe oh, is a good. top, you know, top five player in the NBA. This is a guy, Giannis, who was a two-time NBA MVP. Okay. He's a five-time NBA All-Star. He is a three-time, what is he, a second an NBA defensive player of the year award winner. He's all NBA defense. He can't close it out against these Brooklyn Nets who you know, don't they, have Kyrie Irving, and they're going up against a hobble, James you, Harden. You keep bringing up Kyrie Irving, making it seem like he's closing out their games. Kyrie Irving's not closing out their game. He's just giving them production on the scoring side. And for Young, But that's the point. He's not playing. But the thing is, he's not playing. They, 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 they can't close this deal. They won with I tell you something. I, I, I tell you about. I tell you this. If the roles reversed, if Kevin Durant had, you know, a star like Chris Middleton playing alongside him, I guarantee you Kevin Durant would close out this series. Like for you to say Giannis is not going to beat Kevin Durant and the Brooklyn Nets and a deciding game seven. Hold on, I got you. If you're going, if you to say that to me, that's an indictment against Giannis. Giannis should be able to win this series. Against Maybe Giannis isn't as good as we think he is. So you, no. So you're basically saying like he should be. He's going to be the better player than Kevin Durant in this series. 
to me, if Giannis can 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 play anywhere close to Kevin Durant, you still got Chris Middleton on your team. Look at Game Five. He had a whole he had a whole meltdown when he when he fumbled the ball in his hand in the clutch time. You can't be doing that in the clutch. So that right there that scares me. Because imagine they in the clutch in a, like clutch time again, he get the ball knowing that he doesn't really have a go-to move, and they smack the ball away. Well, he, in, he they in trouble and doom. That's why I said the next like Kevin Durant, he's you know like he's one of the greatest scorers of all time. You you can't bet against him. I like the performance he had in Game Five with that triple double. I think he you can get that in Game Seven. Like that's how good he is. But Giannis, you know. I just think, you know, once you got you to get a better team. Not even, not even a better team. A better team? Not even a better team. Not even a better team. It's just that, like, Chris Middleton has to play. He has to play, like, at that league status. If he's not playing at that league status and giving, that, giving a co-star to Giannis, they're doomed. You know why? You know why? Because on this Milwaukee Bucks team, Chris Middleton is the Batman. And Giannis no, is the Robin. No, yes, on no, this no. Bucks team, if you take Giannis is the Robin, and, and Chris Middleton is the team, They would not make the playoffs, man. Let's don't get into. I'm it talking about the roles. No, oh, the roles on this so, team. And I always what y'all think? Give us our opinion. Always gonna be the best. Everybody on Facebook. Everybody don't don't get it. Remember, go follow the Wise Guys on Twitter at Wise Guys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Us on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. In my opinion, on this Milwaukee Bucks team, Chris Middleton is the Batman. And the Greek freak is robbed. But because he put up more points. Not even just that. Because in the clutch moments in playoff games, Chris Middleton is the go-to man. He is the player that, is that delivers for the Milwaukee Bucks to win games. It's not Giannis. So if you ain't the man when money time arrives, yeah. that means you're the robber. Yeah. Yeah. He's the so, Scotty Pippen on this so, team. So, 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 He's the so, <laughs> When Jokic wasn't closing out games, Jamal Murray was closing out games. Was he the Robin in the, in the clutch moment? You're not going to compare it to that. I'm not. I'm, I'm just asking. I'm just asking. Ask, you asking what? If you remember when Jokic, remember Jokic and Jamal Murray, they were smack being there right from three yeah. one, but Jamal Murray was the one who was closing the games out. Well, do that make Jokic the uh, the, the Robin to bat? No, I think I think with that team. I think with that no, team. No, I think with that team, Jamal Murray is the, is a closer. I think you can make a legitimate argument that Jokic, he's, he's shown at times that he's close. Yes, he has. He's, he's shown against my Portland Trailblazers. He was close again. The Portland don't play defense. I agree. They but suck. What I'm saying is, though, I have seen too many games where late in basketball games, when the Milwaukee Bucks are in playoff games, they have went to Chris Middleton, and Giannis was a liability because he can't hit perimeter shots. He can't hit free throws. Okay? So he, Chris, he Middleton, it, Chris Middleton is the go-to man and the number one option for the Milwaukee Bucks late in playoff games. Therefore, I believe Chris Middleton is the Batman and Giannis is the Robin on this Milwaukee Bucks team. Who made Aaron Rodgers mad <laughs> Let's transition back to some, you know, back to some NBA basketball. Let's talk about the, well, I mean, the Sixers-Hawks series as the Philadelphia 76ers, they had a complete meltdown. Clarence, we are going to title it as a Philly meltdown in game five back in Philadelphia. The Atlanta Hawks trailed at one point by 26 in this game, and the Hawks outlasted the Sixers 109 to 106. For the Hawks, Trey Young dropped 39.7 assists. Collins had 19 points. For the Sixers, Jordan B had 37 points. Curry had 36 points. So what went wrong for the Sixers in game five, Clarence? Oh, I'll tell you what went wrong. First of all, you telling me that Steph Curry and Joel Embiid is the only guys that scored in the second half? Yes. Are you telling me that's that? What that's some BS right there. Doc Rivers should be ashamed of himself right there. Ain't no way in hell that Ben and then no way in hell that you you couldn't write up plays for Tobias Harris, 
even for Danny Green, even even for Seth Curry, but for Ben Simmons as well. Ain't no way in hell that them two guys should be the only scorers scoring in the second half. You telling me that even when they was blowing them out, Seth Curry and Joel Embiid was only two scores, the only one putting a field goal. That was it. It was ridiculous. And and let me tell you. And the thing is, Atlanta caught on to what they was doing. They know they know Ben Simmons wasn't a scorer. He's not a scorer. So they're going to double team it B. And B just hurt. He's dealing with that knee injury. Yeah. So he really can't play in the post game and put pressure on the knee. So he's settling for jump shots and mid-range jump shots. So, so Atlanta had the masterpiece to come back because they know they, he couldn't do nothing. All you got to do is play defense and score a bucket. Yeah. And for the Philly thing, for the back to Philly, Doc Rivers should like should be ashamed of himself at, at this position right now because. I had, I had, uh, I had them beat, I had Philly beating them in five. You did. You and Asher, even you and Asher had Atlanta winning in six. And you were shocked. And I was shocked. And I'm shocked because it's like, I was watching that game, and then I turn it off. I hear a C stun. Oh, they got 26, blown 26. Twitter blowing it up, talking about, oh, they really just blew a lead. Doc Rivers, what you yeah. doing? So, like, right, right then and there, game six, as you know, it's playing right now, Doc Rivers. Should have a format and keep him getting the ball out of Trey Young's hand. And he's, and he's having a problem doing that because he's so worried about let make sure Embiid score his buckets and Ben Simmons setting them up. And it's not working no more. It's not yeah. like it's just ridiculous. And big shout out to Atlanta Hawks because they playing hard. And I never expect them to go this far in this playoffs. So this is a great season for them. And Trey Young, he's a beast, man. I agree with The you. Sixers, man, they. They just, they just shocked me right now. They, they look bad. Right I'm going to get to the Atlanta Hawks for the minute. I want to talk about the Philadelphia 76ers. Mm-hmm. What went wrong for the Philadelphia 76ers in game five? You blame Doc Rivers. I blame Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons, okay? Yeah. Tobias Harris, he's getting paid $180 million right now, Clarence. And he shot 2 of 11 from the floor. He didn't make a shot in the second half. He's 6'8". He can handle the basketball. Uh, he can hit the rear range. He can hit perimeter shots, get to the rim, and finish at the cup. You know, for him to go two of eleven from the floor overall over is a five, major four. disappointment. You know, over five. You know, from from three point range. You, you know, oh, oh, three from three point range. I'm sorry. Now I'm saying he was over five in the fourth quarter. Oh, five in the, okay, yeah, oh, five in the fourth quarter. He was oh, three from three point range in the game. You know, it was a major disappointment for the Philadelphia 76ers. And so far, you know, before game six tonight, in five games, Tobias Harris only got to the free throw line nine times. Only nine times has he been to the free throw line. That tells me that Tobias Harris is not attacking the rim, you know, like he should be. You know, you have to get to the rim and try to get to the free throw line when your shots aren't falling. In this matchup, you know, he's shooting two of 11 from the floor overall. Get to the free throw line, okay? Attack the basket. You know, get the ref to blow the whistle so you can go to the free throw line and get into a rhythm. That's how NBA players, you know, get into a rhythm offensively. If you don't got it going, you know, as far as shooting the basketball at a high level, you want to try to at least get to the free throw line and get into a rhythm. Tobias Harris didn't do that. He's been awful. Now, let me get to Ben Simmons, okay? Dear God. Ben Simmons can't hit a perimeter shot to save his life, okay? He cannot shoot, you know, outside of five feet. And he's a liability offensively for the Philadelphia 76ers. And this is the reason why I believe the Sixers can't win a championship with Ben Simmons on their team, Clarence. So far in this series, this is before game six. I'm not sure what's going on right now in Atlanta, okay? Because the Atlanta Hawks and the Philadelphia 76ers are playing right now. We don't know what's happening right now in that game. We'll give you a live score update before we're done with this segment. But before game six, Ben Simmons had missed 26 
of 39 free throws. Ben Simmons has missed more free throws than the Atlanta Hawks team combined. He's missed more free throws than the Atlanta Hawks as a team. Okay? Like, it is sad what's happening right now with Ben Simmons. He is awful offensively. Like, he's a great passer. I'll give him credit. He's a tremendous passer. Great floor general. And he's a great defensive player. But as far as being able to score the basketball, he is terrible. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think right now, the Philadelphia 76ers, Daryl Morey, general manager. You know, he's general manager for the yeah. 76ers. He's kicking himself right now because during the season, you remember, they had a chance to trade for James Harden. I agree. They had a chance to trade for James Harden, and they said, we're going to ride with Ben Simmons and Joy B as being a dynamic duo that could win us an NBA championship. Clarence, it has not happened, and Seth Curry has turned into a legitimate second option on this Philadelphia 76ers team. And I think if Ben Simmons don't get his act together, it's a chance that the Sixers could lose and not get to the Eastern Conference Finals, therefore being a major disappointment in Doc Rivers' first season as head coach. Let me add that to Let me add to some NBA advanced stats. Since, since game four, Ben Simmons yeah. hasn't made a field goal in the fourth quarter since game three of this series. Game three? Game three. Wow. And then another thing, too, he ain't made no more than two field goals since game four. And in the fourth quarter, he ain't scored in the fourth quarter in three straight games. That's and he's in last last game was four for 14 at the free throw line. Yeah. Like this, this guy Ben Simmons has been a liability on the scoring side. And I agree. And this is going to our next question. Can you still win a championship with Ben Simmons? I don't believe so. I don't think so because he don't have no type of shooting ability. I love Ben Simmons as a defensive player and a facilitator. But in, in times when we need a jump shot, he can't deliver. Yeah. And I understand like everybody was saying like, oh, he plays defense. He's a good facilitator. He's a good point guard for you. But he's a He's an average point guard with no jump shot. Like, you remember Andre Miller? Well, Andre Miller couldn't take jump shots. Right. But then they, had, they yeah. had to tell him, hey, yeah, you need to start taking those jump shots. I don't care if your form's slow or you can't pull it up fast or enough. You need to take jump shots. And for Ben Simmons, his, the way his form is made, it's so smooth because he's left-handed. So the player defenders are already defending your right side thinking you're right, but you're really left. Yeah. So it, it's not it's, it's bad because he's not, he's not shooting the ball. He's holding his team back. They depended on Joel Embiid too much, like to have these monster games, and when Ben Simmons can be having monster games, putting up numbers up there with him. I agree, and that's the biggest issue right now with the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers. Yeah, um, and I, I got one more person I'm going to call out with the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers. You remember last year? You know, Doc Rivers lost a three-one lead mm-hmm. when he was with the Clippers, and I remember a, a, a few years ago, I believe, when Chris Paul was on the Clippers. I think the Clippers lost a three-one lead to James Harden. And the Houston Rockets, if I'm not mistaken. Y'all can let me know if I'm wrong about that. But I think they lost a 3-1 lead, you know, a few years ago when Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, you know, oh, yeah. were, were mm-hmm. the, the one-two punch on that Clippers team. I think they lost a 3-1 lead in that series. I think when you look at Doc Rivers as a head coach, I respect the hell out of Doc Rivers, okay? I think that Doc Rivers knows his basketball. He's forgotten more basketball than I know, Clarence, okay? I think he's a competent head coach. But I believe that when you look at the fact that the Philadelphia 76ers they lost an 18-point lead in game four. They lost a 26-point lead in game five. I believe that's an indictment on Doc Rivers. And if the Philadelphia 76ers don't come back and win this series, we're going to be looking at Doc Rivers with a raised eyebrow because it's going to be the second consecutive postseason where he's had a team that was favored to win an NBA playoff series, and it does not happen. 
It happened last year with the Clippers and the Nuggets because I thought the Clippers should have closed, closed out against the Nuggets last year. Okay, it should have happened. And if it happens again, we're going to be looking at Doc Rivers and thinking whether or not he is still the type of coach that can lead you on a championship. Run. I agree, man. I, I think you've got to evaluate, like, what Doc Rivers brings to the, to the table with Philadelphia. Yeah. Like, you, you, look, you look into his schemes and figure out, like, what type of team he's running. And, like, remember last year, Errol was calling Doc Rivers overrated. Yeah. And, and at first I called him overrated too, but then I had to think about it like, well, he helped Joel Embiid get to this MVP season that he should have been having. Yeah. But at some reason in the playoffs, like he got he got like this chip on him that he, he just can't he can't take off. Get the monkey off his shoulder. Like he just can't take off. Like he struggled bad, like in elimination games yeah. and, and games that he favor of. So I just think that he, he Doc is not getting the most out of all his players all the time, and he need to get the most out of them. Yeah, and one thing about Doc Rivers I also want to say, he was trying to downplay the importance of Ben Simmons actually attempting perimeter shots. He downplayed it all year, Clarence. And I think that's the issue with the Sixers right now. Doc Rivers needs to, needs to demand that Ben Simmons work on his perimeter shooting because it is embarrassing. Like me, you, ask for Raquel, we go out there and shoot better perimeter shots than Ben Simmons. Like, at least shoot him. Like, I'm at least yeah. shoot him. Like, if I get in the game, I'm shooting. Like, that's the problem that I got. With Doc Rivers, he's not, it seems like he's not challenging, you know, Ben Simmons to shoot perimeter shots. And that's an issue when you're trying to win an NBA championship. And I think Ben Simmons being a liability could ultimately come back to haunt the Philadelphia 76ers and their championship aspirations. Because I think Joel Embiid is doing his part. Yeah. Like, I think Joel Embiid has elevated his game in the playoffs, and I think he's playing at a superstar level. He needs the others to do pull their weight, like Doc Rivers from a head coaching perspective, and like Ben Simmons as a second star on the yeah, Sixers. Yeah, and Tobias team. Harris, like you paying him as a superstar, you need to get better production out of Tobias Harris. Like you said, two for eleven, you only take eleven shots, and you only been to the free throw line nine times out of out of this series. Like you need better production out of him. Like yeah. you get paid as a superstar, yeah. you should literally should be that number two option, a number two option on this team right now. But he's playing the back seat to Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, which is not a good idea. And the thing is, this is when, when Jimmy Butler walked in free agency. That was hurtful. And he went to Miami. They expected Tobias Harris to step up, you know, and yeah. be that third option, you know, for this team. You know, and he's just not getting the job done, you know, in this series. But also, I want to give a lot of credit to the Atlanta Hawks, parents, because, you know, I told you that they were going to upset the Sixers earlier in this series. You still got And I got to give a lot of credit to Nate McMillan. Yeah, Boy, is Nate building coaching today. He is coaching, you know, his ass off right now. I got to give him credit. Like, he's doing an outstanding job. And I know, and I, gar I guarantee you right now, people in Indiana are kicking themselves. They fired Nate McMillan last year. Who want to play Indiana, though? I, no, I know. I'm talking about they fired Nate McMillan, though. They had something good going with Nate. I thought it was kind of yeah. premature. Yeah. It was kind of premature. He's a good coach, a good defensive mind coach at that. And to, to say, like, this, this uh, Hawks team don't play defense is absurd. Right now, live update in Atlanta. The Atlanta Hawks lead the Philadelphia 76ers 51-47. to 47. So, Clarence, if the Sixers can't come back in the second half, looks like the Atlanta Hawks will be moving on to the Eastern Conference Finals. I predicted it. So, um, what else is doing? I'm always right. Yeah. But let's transition to the NFL, Clarence. <laughs> and let's talk about the Chicago Bears. As there's a new sheriff in Chicago, you know the Bears moved up in the draft to select Justin Fields. So Matt Nagy, he says Andy Dalton will be the week one starter for the Chicago Bears. So the question here is, are the Bears making a mistake not having the quarterback competition? 
I don't think they're making a mistake though. I think they're they're grooming their quarterback. Like they don't want to rush rush him get on the field that quick. And I think Mac Nagy got two options going on. If Andy Dalton if he's hitting, like if he's playing real well in this season, they like his job is really premium save. But if he's not playing well and he playing Justin Fields, but you get like some good production out of him, his job will still be safe. Now here's the other options. If Andy Dalton and Justin Fields is playing horrible, yeah, his job is it is it, over for them. But I think, I think though, like you you gotta like you gotta do a you have when you got a quarterback like that, like in Justin Fields, you, you gotta put him like sit him for a few games and stuff and and let Andy Dalton take over the offense because you want him to learn the playbook, the the up tempo of the foot of the game, and you know you don't want to rush him to get injuries because you're playing in a, a solid division with good defensive teams like like the Packers. And, you know, the, the Vikings uh, front seven is solid. The Lions, they're coming up. So I think like, you should start Andy Dalton until Justin Fields is ready. I don't think this should be like a quarterback competition. For what? I mean, the Minnesota Vikings wanted Justin Fields. Don't get me wrong, but Justin Fields is going to be special for them for years to come. So let him sit back and learn from Andy Dalton. And he even said he learned a lot from Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton took him under his wing, including Nick Foles, too. So they took him under his wing because they know he's the future, and they don't want him to get rushed out there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so you believe that Matt Nagy was making the right decision yeah, I, by closing the door on a quarterback competition. Yeah, you I think Dalton should be the starter in week one. Yeah, he should be the starter week one. He should be the starter week one because Justin Fields, I don't want to throw him out there just now because, you know, first game against the – not wait, who was their game? Their, no, not sure they first. I think, they, I think they play the Detroit Lions. I don't care who they play, though, but Andy Dollar should be the day one starter. He's the most experienced guy, and you can see what, what can he do. And if he if that uh if that experiment is not working out, that's when you throw in Justin Fields and let him get his reps in. He's learned from it, though. But as of right now, I think they should not have no quarterback competition. Okay, so my question for you is what year are we in? 2021. Okay, we're in 2021. So we are in a new age, you know, of football, like new era. Yeah, football, right? Pass heavy. Okay, pass heavy. So last year, do you remember the Chargers inserting, you know, Justin Herbert, you know, into the starting lineup, mm-hmm. you know, and he had a great rookie season. I thought last year Justin Herbert outperformed Tua. He outperformed, you know, Burrow. I know you wanted to say like, no, nah, I, 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 Joe Burrow impressed me last year. Yeah, I mean, he impressed me. Yeah, I was wrong about Joe Burrow. He he played outstanding before his ACL injury, but I believe that Justin Herbert played the best when it comes to the rookie quarterbacks, right? So I believe we're at a new era in the NFL where rookie quarterbacks, they're being inserted into the starting lineup sooner rather than later. So I disagree with you. I think Matt Nagy is making a huge mistake by not keeping the door open for a quarterback competition. Let me explain why. Andy Dalton hasn't had a good season since 2018. In 2018, he had 21 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, completed 62% of his passes for your Bengals. But since then, Andy Dalton, he's had 30 touchdowns and 22 interceptions. He had one year with your Bengals. His last year with Cincinnati. He didn't play very well. wasn't impressive. And then he came in last year for the Dallas Cowboys at the Dak Prescott, you know, tore his ankle up. I wasn't very impressed with Andy Dalton as far as being a legitimate starter for a franchise that's trying to win games. And I believe Justin Fields is a franchise quarterback that you can win with in the NFL, Clarence. While he was at the University of Ohio State, the Ohio State University, Justin Fields in 2019, 41 touchdowns, three interceptions, completed 67% of his passes. Okay. In 2020, 
he had 22 touchdowns, six interceptions, completed 70% of his passes. In both of those seasons, he led the Buckeyes to the postseason, okay? And one of the things, as you know, during the draft that didn't make any sense to me was why Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, I didn't understand why they were drafted ahead of Justin Fields. I felt like you could make a legitimate argument that Justin Fields could have been, you know, drafted over Trevor Lawrence. I was very hold impressed. On, hold on. Wait, hold on. Well, I, I'm on, wait a minute. I was very impressed where I saw from Justin Fields in the postseason, okay, in the playoff matchup when Clemson went up against Old State. Justin Fields outperformed Trevor Lawrence. I know it was only it one was game. True. It was true. only one game. But I saw Justin Fields elevate his game in the playoffs for the Ohio State Buckeyes. I don't understand why Zach Wilson and Trey Lance, you know, were drafted ahead of you know, um, Justin Fields. I don't know what was going on. I, I, I was confused because I thought Justin Fields should have been selected as the number two overall quarterback at least. But overall, I think Matt Nagy's making a mistake because I think it should be an open quarterback competition because I believe Justin Fields has shown an ability that he can win at the NFL level because in college, in the big moments, he elevated his game. So I think Justin Fields is big time, and I think if the Chicago Bears want to have a chance to compete in the NFC North, they need Justin Fields to be the starter, and he don't make okay. no cut. Okay, you walking into my world when you're talking about draft scouts, okay. draft scouts, and I think, you know, I think Justin Fields was was a top, a top quarterback in the draft coming out because, you know, the intangibles he got, you know, great accuracy. He's he got great mobility, yeah. and he got the good. He got a quarterback vision that's that, that's out of his mind. Believe it or not, it's better than anyone's in this NFL and yeah. in, 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 in that draft class. And I think you know when San Francisco when they was picking third, they had to choose between Trey Lance and Justin Fields. Don't get me wrong, Trey Lance is is, is a is a solid quarterback. People downplay him a lot because he plays in a, a Division two school though. But if you watch this kid play. The first freshman year, he threw, he threw no interceptions. His second year, he only threw one interception. And, it, and he go through his progressions faster than field. And he's, he got crazy athleticism. So, it, so Trey Lance. Yeah, Trey Lance. Yeah. So, the, the, the system that Trey Lance, I mean, the 49ers run, it fits Trey Lance perfectly because his athleticism is out the park. Yeah. Now, for Justin Field, don't get me wrong, he was surprised and disappointed that he did win. 14 overall and stuff because a lot of teams passed up on him. The Jets, they fell in love with Zach Wilson. Let's, let's get did. that out the way. He bought a house in New York three weeks ago before the draft. So we that was a done deal. The first two picks was a done deal. The third and the fourth and the sixth and seven and eight, that was that was pretty like you could have said, like, okay, though one of those teams could have got Justin Fields. But the Panthers decided to pass up on him to get a corner. Uh, the Falcons passed up on him to get Cal Pitts. You know, we was getting Jamar Chase. We don't need him. So, and the Dolphins, they needed a weapon because they have Tua. Yeah. And, and like in, in seven of uh, the, the Broncos, they, they they even passed up on him, which I think like, wow. But the Broncos are looking for day one starters. And for what Chicago building and what, what the what Matt Nagy is building in Chicago, Andy Dalton is a bridge-type quarterback. He's a bridge-type quarterback. Until Matt Nagy is comfortable putting uh, – Justin Field out on the field, then he's going to be out on the field. But if I had to ask how many games you think Justin Field, like, what week he's going to get in, I'll say he probably get in at least by week 10. Right. See, for me, I think Matt Nagy, when he answered the question about the quarterback competition, I think Matt Nagy was, you know, he just wants the media to stop asking him questions about the quarterback competition in Chicago. Because the media right now in Chicago, Clarence, they're all over Matt Nagy, okay? Like, make no mistake about it. Most people believe that Matt Nagy should have already been fired. So I think that Chicago media 
is applying pressure on Matt Nagy to have to win now. So I think Matt Nagy just said Andy Dalton is going to be the the week one starter because he wants to get the media off his back. I agree. But when it comes to the Chicago Bears and Matt Nagy, do you believe Matt Nagy is on the hot seat this season? I think so. I think he's on a hot seat, but it's a certain hot seat, though. Like, if, if, if he can get production out of these two quarterbacks, I think his job is safe. But if he's not getting any type of production and they're not winning games and they, they're losing, like, what, seven out of the ten, he only winning three games out of the ten, yeah, they're going to let him go. But I think he is on the hot seat. If he can get a lot out of Andy Dalton, if he's still the starter all season and he plays well, his job is safe. Like his job to say, because I mean, you made the playoffs last year. You expect him to bounce back in the playoffs. So if he can, if he can play well and get put him legit, his job is safe. But if, if you take if you take Andy Dalton out the starting lineup and, and, and uh bring in Justin Fields, now you're 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 switching you're switching like the model now. Like you switching like, can you get more production out of Justin Fields? Because I know y'all, you probably won't win a lot of games, you know, but can you get a lot the most out of him? So I think he's still on the hot seat, though. It all depends, like how how it plays and stuff. And, and like I'm watching, I'm looking at their schedule. Like their schedule right now, it, it, it doesn't look favorable though, but it's manageable though. You know, they, they play at AFC North this year, so yeah. they got to play your Bengals. Oh, they see in week two. They got to play the. They got to play the. They play here or they play in Chicago. We in Chicago. In Chicago, okay, Shocktown. But they play the AFC North this year, so we'll see. We'll look up their schedule. And uh, talk about that. But when you ask the question, is Matt Nagy on the hot seat this season? I believe Matt Nagy is on the hot seat this season, Clarence, because yeah. so far in his career as being head coach of the Chicago Bears, Matt Nagy is 28 and 20, which means he's won 58% of his games. And I believe the, the worst decision that Matt Nagy made was with Ryan Pace, general manager for the Bears. The worst decision that they made was when they moved up in the draft to select Mitchell Trubisky. <laughs> and, you, and you passed up on an opportunity to draft Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, two great young quarterbacks in the NFL. The Bears missed both of them, and they moved up in the draft clearance and selected Mitchell Trubisky. But think about I it. think that's the worst decision that Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace has made since they've been the head coach and the general manager of the Chicago Bears. So think about it, though, like uh, – Mitchell Trubisky coming out of North Carolina, he has great athleticism, arm power, and his accuracy wasn't like like bad as it was in the NFL. So he had a good he had a good scout coming out. Though. But, but but I felt like we saw in college that Deshaun Watson was better than Mitchell Trubisky. Maybe not Patrick Mahomes. Like Patrick Mahomes, in my opinion, came out of nowhere. Like I didn't see like Patrick Mahomes being as great as he is in the NFL. Texas Tech man, watch his highlights. He was good, but Deshaun Watson was great in college. Yeah, he was great. Like Deshaun, Deshaun Watson to me, you saw him on the biggest stage, you know, in the college football playoff. You remember they went to back-to-back national championship games against Alabama, and he played great in those games. Like I don't understand for the life of me why Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace elected to move up in the draft and draft Mitchell Trubisky. Didn't make any sense, and I think it could be what ultimately cost Matt Nagy his job. Again, he's won 58% of his games, and he's been to the postseason two out of three seasons. But his signature clearance is offense, and I'm a big believer in it. Whatever your signature is, that needs to improve once you become head coach of a football team. Mm -hmm. His signature is offense. Therefore, I believe the Chicago Bears offensively have to improve this year because over the last few years, their defense has been pretty solid. You know, it's been middle of the pack. Middle of the pack. I mean, at one point, they were very elite. 
But yeah. it's only so much your defense could do. They've been middle of the pack the last few years, but their offense has been awful. So I think for them to have a chance, you know, to compete in the NFC North and Matt Nagy, for him to save his job, he needs the Bears offense to play at a high level. And my man David Montgomery to get hit, get in the end zone a few times this year. Hey, I'm a big fan of David Montgomery, man. Big fan of you, David, man. So let me ask you this. You think the Bears can win the NFC North? Now listen to this. They resigned Tariq Cohen. They franchise tag uh, uh, Allen Robinson. Yep. They brought some key pieces on the defense side. Khalil Mack is coming back. Eddie Jackson is back. So do you think they can win the a- NFC North? Let me ask you a question. I got a question on top of it. Is Aaron Rodgers the quarterback of the Packers this year for you? And as you ask this question, is this with Aaron Rodgers being the quarterback of the Packers okay. or he's not on the Packers? Okay, what? Okay, we're going to do two questions. If he's on the Packers, if he's on the Packers, the Chicago Bears will not compete in the NFC North because my Packers have completely dominated this supposed rivalry. You know, it's supposed to be a rivalry between the Bears and Packers, okay? The like they say it's the greatest rivalry in, in sports history. But for whatever reason, the Packers have dominated the Bears. Okay, like you, I, you know, I was in Chicago a few weeks ago, and you know, I, I drove by Soldier Field, and I just oh. thought to myself, like, man, like my Packers dominated the Bears. You know, in their there. own stadium, they dominated the Bears. So I, I think when you ask the question whether or not the Bears can win an NFC North, it de- it depends on whether or not Aaron Rodgers shows up to play. Because I think Aaron Rodgers will be our Week One starter. You know, in New Orleans. I think if Aaron Rodgers plays this season for the Green Bay Packers, I don't think the Bears can win the NFC North. If he doesn't play, I think the Bears have a shot to win the division. But I look at the rest of the division. When I look at the Minnesota Vikings, I'm not sold on Kirk Cousins. Okay? You know, he's a good quarterback. He's okay. I'm not sold on Kirk Cousins. I'm not sold on Jared Goff. For the Detroit Lions. I'm not sold on Jared Goff. I I think Chicago slightly might be better than the Detroit Lions. Okay? Slightly. Maybe. What you think? I think that if Aaron Rodgers is not playing the NFC North, that the Chicago Bears are the front runners of, for that division right there. I think it's wide open if Aaron Rodgers is I, I mean, yeah, technically. Wide open. Yeah, technically, though, but I would think Chicago will have the better chance of because they got the better defense. Okay, let me ask you this. Okay, let's say Aaron Rodgers doesn't show up, right? Even, right. I, I don't even know this is the day I would dread, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, this would be me being – Oh, we going live for you. This would be awful for me, okay? This would be me going – into into football, you know, hell, if Aaron Rodgers doesn't show back up. But if he doesn't show back up, we got Jared Goff in Detroit. We got Jordan Love in Green Bay. We're going to have Andy Dalton in Chicago. <laughs> and we're going to have Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. Uh, out of those quarterbacks, who's the best quarterback? Out of those four quarterbacks? Kirk Cousins. By a lot? Like, out of that fault? Yes. He's the most proven. Yeah, the most proven, I think he's the well, I can't really He's say better. That. You, I, don't, I know Andy had some time Andy. with your Bengals when he got the your Bengals to the postseason. 2015 was his MVP year. Let's not forget yeah. that. Ash, I know you hear me. 2015 was his only best year. And you telling me he's better than Kirk Cousins? No. I think, I think your you Bengals fans, y'all are don't give a disservice to Andy Dalton. Like Andy Dalton's better. Oh, don't he's say better that. Than what y'all don't say that. He's man. better than what y'all give him credit for. You but I, 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 think the last, I, I said earlier, the last two years he hasn't been very good. But I think when he was with the Bengals, I think Andy Dalton, you know, was a quarterback that you can win with. I mean, he wasn't elite. All right, before we go on, let me, let me ask you this. Have you ever seen all the throws Andy Dalton threw to A.J. Green? I have. Do you see how underthrown him is? I've seen it. Okay. I'm not saying Andy Dalton's elite. But I think if Aaron, Rodgers, if Aaron Rodgers doesn't show up, I think all those quarterbacks Kirk Cousins, in the NFC North are on a level playing field. Kirk Cousins is going to be the best quarterback in that division. I disagree. I think it's going to be a toss-up. No. I, don't, I don't believe in Kirk Cousins. He's better than Dalton. He's better than any Chicago situation right now. 
if Aaron Rodgers had is not playing for Green Bay, man. That's true. This is the last, last segment of the day. Lamar Jackson said this offseason is, quote, straight go-to mode. And mm-hmm. a big focus this season is improving the deep passer game. So is it wise or last to say Lamar Jackson will have a big year? I think I think is I think it's wise. I think he's gonna have a big year because he got new weapons on the team. He, got, he finally got the number one receiver. So he's been saying like like they been the Ravens been keeping the media away from Lamar because they want him to have his, his throwing on sign. I think it was a joke or something, but it was funny. I think Lamar's gonna have a big year than he than last year. So I think. If the receivers can get on the same page as him, they can have a monster year. I think it's wise. Uh, I think it's a lie, actually, to say Lamar Jackson's going to have a big year. I know last year he had 26 touchdowns, nine interceptions, completed 64% of his passes. Mm-hmm. You know, in 2019, his MVP season, he had 36 touchdowns and just six interceptions, broke the rushing yards record. You know, he was outstanding in 2019, leading the Baltimore Ravens as a number one seed, you know, in the AFC. But I think it's lies to say that he's going to have a big year because those weapons that they added on the Baltimore Ravens team, they're still not elite weapons. I look at the rest of the quarterbacks in the AFC alone. Josh Allen has Stephon Diggs. Patrick Mahomes has Tyreek Hill. Baker Mayfield, hell, he's got Odell and Jarvis Landry. Who does Lamar Jackson have as a reliable threat to throw the ball to in games, like okay. Hollywood Brown is inconsistent. I don't think he's elite. What? He's not elite. So no, he's elite. He's no, elite. I, I said you say he's inconsistent. He's inconsistent oh, to me. No, like he's not reliable. I'm not reliable. No. Okay, so so all the names I just named: Tyree Q, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, Stephon Diggs. You think Hollywood Brown deserves to be in that conversation? He's I not reliable. That's his weapon. He's not, weapon, right? he's not reliable. Oh. Like I think it's last to say you have a big year. I still think the Baltimore Ravens haven't put enough around. Lamar Jackson to have a big statistical year in the passing game. I just don't see it. I just don't see it, Clarence. Let's transition back to some NBA. On Wednesday, LaMelo Ball won NBA Rookie of the Year over Anthony Edwards. So is it wise or wise to say Anthony Edwards was robbed for Rookie of the Year? Is that wise or not? I think that's wise right there. I think think LaMelo Ball, he put the Hornets in position to make the playoff. And in the beginning, he only missed 22 games. Before those 22 games, they was the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference. In the Eastern Conference, yeah. So I think he, he put them in position. He, he helped them win games more more than they won last year. And I think Lamelo Ball, he's well deserved for this rookie of the year. I agree with you. I think it's wise to say Lamelo Ball deserved to win NBA Rookie of the Year on the season. He averaged 16 points per game, six rebounds per game, six assists. I think he was the reason why the Hornets, you know, had a chance to get into the postseason. You know, they got to the play-in game where they got blown off the floor against the Indiana, Indiana Pacers. I think you can make a legitimate argument that LaMelo Ball was the reason why the Hornets were even in that position all year long. When I looked at the injury report, I saw Gordon Hayward on the injury report for whatever reason, Clarence. <laughs> yeah. So LaMelo Ball led the Hornets uh, to the, as a 10th seed, I believe, in the Eastern Conference. So I yeah. think, you know, he earned this award. When it's going to be special in the future. It's going to be special. So, head coach Rick Carline is leaving the Dallas Mavericks after 13 seasons, marking the latest shakeup of the organization, long, stable power. So, is it wise or lies to say that the Dallas Mavericks are a mess right now? Yes, I think that's wise to say the Dallas Mavericks are a mess right now because earlier in the week, long-time general manager Donnie Nelson, I believe, he also, you know, stepped down as general manager. Now you got Rick Carlisle, you know, stepping down as head coach. I believe they're a mess right now because they don't have no structure in that organization like we're used to seeing them have. Over the last 10 seasons, six of those 10 seasons, 
they've been to the playoffs and they lost in the first round. Those other four years, you know, they didn't even make the playoffs. Yeah. So I think the Dallas Mavericks, they need to bring in a head coach who can relate to Luka Doncic, you know, who can put him in an offensive system to, you know, thrive in and play at a high level. And, oh, and they also need to find out what they're going to do with Chris Porzingis because Chris Porzingis is not a second star that you can rely on to put alongside Luka Doncic. So I think it's wise to say the Dallas Mavericks right now, just two weeks after being in the game seven with the Los Angeles Clippers, are a mess. I think it's I think it's lies though. I think it's lies to say like the Mavericks are a mess right now. I think what Mark Cuban is doing right now is cleaning up all the old old GMs, old coaches. So because you know they're they're moving into a new direction. And believe it or not, Rick Carlisle and Luka Doncic had a lot of beef over over in the playoffs. They they, they had yeah. heated arguments a lot. And the uh, Donnie Nelson he. He felt like Luca was in the wrong, and Mark Cuban, hey, 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 you gotta go now because you're against Luca, yeah. and we, and you're not gonna do that. He's a special kid. You gotta go. Yeah. I think Mark Cuban is choosing Luca over everybody, and, I, and I, I'm with him because this is a special kid. This is a guy that's, that's gonna be special in years to come. Like I think it's a lie to say it's a mess right now. I just think he's cleaning up and he's rebuilding. He's bringing a new a coach that can that can help Luca get to that next level. And Rick Carlisle, he couldn't get him there. I agree with you. I agree with you on that, but I do disagree with you about them being a mess. They're a mess right now at this moment. But we'll see what happens. Whoever gets that job, they got Luka Doncic. So, you know, that's a great piece to build around and win games with. So, Tyreek Hills expect nothing short of perfection for the Kansas City Chiefs this season. Hill told reporters that the Chiefs are aiming to finish 20-0. So, is it possible to say that the Chiefs have a legitimate chance to go 20-0? No, that's a lie. Chiefs <laughs> won't go 20-0 this season. You look at their first two games of the season, they got the Browns at home, and then they got to travel to Baltimore to take on Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. They could easily be 1-1 one one after week two. Maybe 0-2, oh you never know. Like, you remember last year in the, in the playoff game, the Browns played the Chiefs tough. Like, I, I, and I think, the, I think the Browns actually, you know, lost that game more than the Chiefs won that game. You remember Patrick Mahomes got injured in that playoff game. I thought the Browns should have won that game, honestly. So I think it's a lie to say that the Kansas City Chiefs will go 20-0. It's ridiculous. It's insane. I like the fact that Tyreek Hill has confidence, but it's not going to happen. It's just the NFL. It's yeah. hard to go on. I think it's lies too, though, Trey, man, because if you go 20-0 and it's a damn season in the playoffs, that's a, that's a challenge with, with everything. And it's hard work and dedication to go 20-0. And, and I just think they can lose anytime they want. And I just don't see them going 20 like it's, sure. it's, it's too much. Let's transition back to some NBA clearance. And let's talk about the Western Conference semifinals matchup between the Clippers and the Utah Jazz. The Clippers beat the Utah Jazz. What was it? What was the score? Uh, I don't got the score right in front of me. But they beat 119 to 111. 119 to 111. They beat the Utah Jazz 119 to 111 for the Clippers. Paul George had 37 points. Morris dropped 25 points for the Utah Jazz. Donovan Mitchell had 21 points. Bogdanovich had 32 points, Clarence. What was your reaction to Paul George's performance in game five in Utah? All right. You know, in my biggest reaction, you know, my cousin, my cousin, uh, he was a big, he a big fan of Paul George. Yeah. He's here. He's here now. Big Devon, wherever you at, big shout out, baby. Happy <laughs> birthday, boy. Yeah. So, look, he's a big fan of Paul George. He liked his game, and I was impressed with Paul George. I love the way how he carried his team. The team was right behind him. He played 40-plus minutes, and he, he showed them, like, he wants to win. 
And I was very impressed when, when like, everybody was just following his role. Reggie Jackson had 22 points. Marcus Morris had 25 points. Those guys was coming up big. And I said in the last show, Marcus Morris and Reggie Jackson had to step up for they Paul did. George. And they did. Paul George can have 35 points and 16 rebounds. That's cool. But if his role players don't have at least, like, 20 points, like, there's no way in hell he's going to win that game. It wasn't a way in hell. So I think they played good on both. Like, they played great. And Paul George just did his thing. Like, he showed up and – and tonight, let's go. He he got a repeat of what he did in Game Five. Like you know, it's still all eyes on him. We don't know when Kawhi is coming back. Yeah. Will he come back for the next round? But if he can repeat these performances day after day, these next few games, man, like they they got legitimate. They can make the final. Not saying they will, but they will have a good shot to make it if he keep playing like this. I want to give Paul George a public apology tonight on the oh. show. Oh, Paul George, a public apology because. I said once they lost Kawhi Leonard Clarence, their chances yeah. of, you know, getting to the NBA Finals were over, let alone even get to the Western Conference Finals. I said it was over with. I said Utah was going to win the next two games and go on to the Western Conference Finals and face the Phoenix Suns, and boy, was I wrong. And Paul George shut me up. Clarence, this is something that I did not know before we talked about it on Wednesday's show. Paul George is 14-9 and nine over the last two seasons without Kawhi Leonard. Last two years since he's been in L.A., he's played, what, 23 games without Kawhi Leonard, and he's 14-9 and nine in those games. This season, he was 7-5 and five without Kawhi Leonard. So I want to give Paul George a public apology on Wise Guys tonight. My bad, bro, for underestimating your importance and your value to this Clippers team yeah. because Paul George has been playing at a high-level clearance. Pandemic P has turned back into playoff P for the Los Angeles Clippers. For the last three games, he's averaging 33, 9, and 5. And Paul George is one of three players averaging 29, 9, and 4 in the second round. You know who the other two players are averaging those numbers? Oh, Kevin Durant and Joel Embiid. So Paul George has elevated his game to superstar status, you know, in this year's playoffs. And he's also the first Clipper in history to score 20 points or more in 12 straight playoff games. So Paul George is playing at a high level right now for the Los Angeles Clippers. He has them in position to get into the Western Conference Finals for the first time in franchise history. And again, I agree with you about the role players. I thought Morris and Jackson elevated their games, you know, in game five in Utah. And I also saw my man Terrence Mann. He had a he, he dunked on Rudy Gobert, the defensive player of the year. I was high. Terrence Mann dunked on him. So I give a lot of credit to the Clippers, you know, franchise and their players in Ty Lue for being able to, you know, know, like, we don't have our best player, and they going go into a tough environment in Utah and win yeah. game five, a game neither one of us expected them to win. Kudos to the Los Angeles Clippers, yeah. man. Like, I was very impressed. And in this game, Clarence, the Utah Jazz hit 10 threes in the first quarter. I thought it was like 17. Threes. It was 10 in the first quarter. So first quarter, they got yeah. off to a hot start. So, you know, you on the roll, you know, that Utah Jazz crowd, you know, they impact the game. So when you on the roll, you lost your best player, you know, earlier in the morning, like you know he's going to be out for the most likely for the rest of the playoffs. Yeah. And the, withstand that run from the Jazz early in that game, it shows you how mentally tough. Ty Lue has his Clippers right now. And they're in a position right now to get to the Western Conference Finals for the first time in franchise history if they can pull it off tonight against the Jazz. The thing is, too, though, you know, you know when they was, what they were shooting in the second half? 
They shot three of 24. Yeah. And it was terrible because they game plan. Donovan Mitchell couldn't get back in the game. He was six. What, what was he? Six of 19, four for 14 at the three. So he struggled in the second half because Tyron Luke, he rounded up his game to play defense around him, get the ball out of his hand. Bardonovich, he had 32 points. He shoot nine to 17. He was hot. Yeah. He was hot in the first half. But second half, he got real cold down. And I think, like, for, for the Utah Jazz, for them to win this series, like, they think they, they have to score fast. They have to play defense and they have to be smart with the ball because, like, when I was watching the game, like, the end of the game, like, it was, like, 30 seconds left. Like, they down four and they taking three-point shots for, like, 28 seconds on the clock. Yeah. Like, like why, why are you doing that? You had time to set your offense and get a quick basket. But they was bringing up the court and, and, and just shooting up shots. Donald Mitchell had three straight three air balls. Yeah, yeah three air yeah. balls, three straight air balls that he shot up. And it just it, they just looked out of sync. Because they seen the hard work and the, the hard work that the, uh, the Clippers was doing. Tyron Lou rallied them up. Paul George had a monster game. Marcus Morris played like tremendous. He looked like Kawhi Leonard on the little fadeaways. Reggie Jackson, he was scoring on Rudy Gobert like it was nothing. Like so, he, yeah. they, they they looked comfortable. They was winning. They had they 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 was down twelve, but they rallied up. Like big shout out to Tyron Lou, man. Yeah. yeah. And they got the, the the Clippers outscored the Jazz thirty four to thirty at points yeah. in the paint. So they're yeah. attacking the paint. They don't care that Rudy Gobert, the defensive, defensive player of the year, is down there as a rim protector. They're yeah. attacking Rudy Gobert and Utah Jazz. But I'm going to talk about Donovan Mitchell real quick. Statistically, Donovan Mitchell, his numbers have dropped since game one. Okay, in game one, he shot 53% from the floor. He was a plus five in the plus minus department. In game two, he shot 52% from the floor. In game three, he shot 46% from the floor. In game four, he shot 35%. From the floor and game five, he shot 32% from the floor. So Donovan Mitchell, over the last five games, Clarence, he hasn't shot the ball particularly well. And I think that's the reason why the Utah Jazz are struggling at this moment in this series. I don't know if it's the ankle injury that's nagging Donovan Mitchell, but he's not shooting the ball efficiently for the Utah Jazz. And I think that's the reason why they're struggling overall as a team. The Utah Jazz. They come and go as Donovan Mitchell, okay? He is the best player on this team, and he's the reason why they had the best record, you know, in the regular season and why they were the number one seed in the Western Conference. So I think Donovan Mitchell, if the Utah Jazz want to have any chance at sending this series back to Salt Lake City, Donovan Mitchell got to play at an all-time high level tonight. So who do you think is facing more pressure in this game six tonight? I think the Utah Jazz facing more pressure. Because on the road. On the road, yeah. I think Utah Jazz are facing more pressure because I think – Whenever you're facing elimination, you're the team that has the most pressure on you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> tonight in Atlanta, yeah. it's the Philadelphia 76ers. I can't, I'm not last night I'm in Milwaukee. It was the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks answered the bell. We're gonna find out tonight the Utah Jazz is gonna ask the bell in LA. But I don't think that Clippers crowd, you know, is they don't be into they it. don't be into it like the Utah crowd is. Yeah, because and I do think this if Utah happens to steal this game tonight in LA. I think it's going to be hard for the Clippers to win back in Salt Lake City in game seven. Really? Yeah. I think the Clippers, I mean, beat, the Clippers want to win tonight. If they want to win the series, they got to win tonight. I mean, they beat they beat them without Kawhi. So, if they can play the game how they played in game five, I think they can really Game seven, them. you got to have yeah. Kawhi Leonard. you got to have Kawhi Leonard in game his seven. Knee, his, his knee is bad. I, I'm keep getting reports that he really must have tore his ACL, but they, you know, they monitoring it. Because you know he traveled with the team on Tuesday, but he went back home because the knee was still staggering him. Right. So he had to go get some treatment on it. So if you if they go to games, I, I, excuse me, I truly believe that they can win. 
Okay. Who wins game six tonight in LA? Oh, I got the Clippers winning this one because they show game five, they, they can win on the road and they, they here to defend on court. And the Utah Jazz, they haven't they haven't been good on the road in the playoffs anyway, because once where they're not in where they're not in like sync and all that, they 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 look bad. They look bad. But I got the Clippers winning this though, and I got them I got them beating them by at least by five. By five. Okay, okay. So you got the Clippers winning. I'm gonna roll with the Utah Jazz to win tonight. So you want to go to Game Seven? I want a Game Seven. You know who else want a Game Seven? The Phoenix Suns. We're gonna talk about Chris Paul here in a minute, but they want this to go to a Game Seven because it's a chance that Chris Paul could miss the beginning of the Western Conference Finals. Yeah. And the longer this series goes, the more time you give Chris Paul, you know, to return back to the lineup. But I got the Utah Jazz winning and squeaking out a victory in LA tonight over the Clippers. I think Donovan Mitchell is gonna play at a superstar level. And I think Joel Ingles and Vardanovich are going to hit perimeter shots. And I think defensively, the Jazz are going to slow down Paul George and Reggie Jackson. I think they're going to struggle to hit shots tonight. I think it's going to be I, – I, I, look, I think it's a chance that Clippers can win this game, but I think Utah going to send it back to Salt Lake City. Can Joe Ingles get Paul George's head? Can't And we're going to see what happens. Let's transition back to something else in the NBA that happened this morning before we get out of here. The Kimba Walker trade. So the Boston Celtics – they traded Kimball Walker this morning and a 16 overall pick, overall pick in the 2021 NBA draft and a 2025 second round to Oklahoma City for Al Horford and Moses Brown and a 2023 second round pick. So the Boston Celtics, you know, shipped Kimball Walker up out of Boston. So what was your reaction to this trade this morning between the Celtics and the Thunder? Well, my biggest reaction to this trade was Boston was trying to get uh, Kimba Walker contract off their books because yeah. they were going to be paying him roughly ninety million dollars, seventy-one million dollars in the next two years. Which, which, they, which Horford probably was going to be they were paying Horford the same one, but it's more flexibility in his contract. Right. So I think that's one, get him out of the contract, and two, I just think he didn't live up live up to the hype. He didn't live up to what the Boston Celtics thought he was going to be. Like, they thought he was going to come in dropping 25, average of 25 a game, you know, shooting good, probably being the 50, 40, 90 club. But, honestly, he hasn't played well. He hasn't played well, and he hasn't lived up to that contract that the Boston Celtics paid him. So, I was, it was the best thing to do was shift him to a team that that you can possibly, like, he can he can play more or he can have a valuable – he can be a valuable asset, asset to, to another team that if they want him. Well, I think the Boston Celtics, they needed another big man. Bringing in Al Horford, he played well with Boston. He was a good anchor man for them, a center, powerful, whatever you needed. So I just felt like this was a welcome home gift to Al Horford. Like, welcome home, man. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry that we couldn't pay you the last few years, though, but, hey, we got you this time. Like, So I just think, like, this is a win-win trade for both of them. I don't think Kemba Walker is going to last OKC, but I can't be wrong because he can be a valuable asset to any other teams that will want him. But if they don't want him, he's going to be in OKC playing with Shai Gilead. Yeah, um, you're right about Al Horford. I know Al Horford feels good this morning yeah. when he woke up because Al Horford was in Oklahoma City. I think this year they sat Al Horford out, like, towards the end of the season. Yeah. I don't even think he even played. He was still getting paid. He was though. still getting paid, but he wasn't playing. Yeah. Now you go to a Boston Celtics team that's led by Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I know Al Horford is feeling good about his return back to Boston. But when it comes to the trade – I think the Boston Celtics made the right decision here because yeah. I think now Brad Stevens, he's a new general manager now for the Boston Celtics. He's sending a message that this is Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum's team. I agree. And they are going to be the primary ball handlers for this team 
moving forward. I felt like last year there were times where Kimba Walker, he was in and out of the lineup. Mm-hmm. And then when he did play, he never really got into a rhythm players last year. Yeah. He averaged 19 points per game on 42% shooting from the floor. You know, he shot 36% from three-point range. I just wasn't very impressed with Kimba Walker last year. Right. I know he was battling some injuries, but when he did play, I think it kind of threw off the chemistry between Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So now they ain't got to worry about that because Kimba yeah. Walker is the type of player that needs the ball in his hands to be effective. They shipped him out. But I do think there's a team out there that should trade for Kimba Walker. You ready for this? The Los Angeles oh. Lakers to trade for Kimba Walker. How do you feel about Kimba Walker, LeBron, and Anthony Davis? I think that would be swell. I think LeBron James will need a, a scoring guard on his team, someone that he can put in position to score. And at times when Kimba Walker is not uh, – not scoring, he could be a facilitator, and that's what Boston wanted him to be. Like he want, they want him to be like the big brother to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. He wanted him to facilitate. They ain't want him to be, hey, Campbell, we need you for scoring. Uh, nah, man, we got two legit scores. We want you to guide them guys. Yeah. But I think for if he if he got shipped to LA, he would be like one of the primary scores because he's a good scorer. He's a good shooter off the screen. He's a he, he's a good shot creator. He can attack the basket. For him, for that him to be that size. He, He's a good rim, like a rim finish. Yeah. So I think I think he'll fit perfect in him. Yeah, and I think I remember at one point, Clarence, it was after the 2019 season. But you know, Kimber Walker, he basically they brought him in to replace Kyrie Irving yeah. in Boston. And I remember after his first year in Boston, I hear everybody talking about, oh, Kimber Walker's better than Kyrie Irving. Oh, yeah. And I said, Woo. hey, please stop. Okay. Yeah. I like Kimber Walker. Okay, don't get me wrong. Kimber Walker on his career, he's averaged 20 points per game. On 42% shooting from the floor, he averaged 36%, you know, from three-point range. I like Kimba Walker, but Kyrie Irving is on another level. He's different. Okay, he's different. Like, do not put Kimba Walker in the same sentence as Kyrie Irving. And I heard a lot of Celtic fans, because they had a good year in their first year with Kimba Walker, they were trying to say, oh, Kimba Walker's better than Kyrie Irving. Stop. I wish I was arguing Stop. with the fans right now. Like, they were trying to say that. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, Kyrie Irving is a more supreme talent than Kimba Walker is. But I think Kimba Walker, again, he can help a championship contender. I don't see him playing this entire season with Oklahoma City Thunder. I just don't see it. If that's the case, then, then teams should trade him, though, if they're going to sit him out during the season. Though. Like, like OKC is one of those places that they got money to pay you. You want to get away from all that hard work. Yeah. You come chill at OKC. Like, hey, you can play minimal. You can give us the bare minimal, and you'll be fine. You still can make your money, but, hey, we'll figure something out. For like, sure. Um, also, one more thing I want to say about Kimball. I think another good fit with Kimball, which you think about this, I think Kimball would be nice with the New Orleans Pelicans. I like Kimball with Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram. I think they need a scoring point guard. Because right now, what is Lonzo giving? Nah. What Lonzo giving? Nah. What you don't think he'd be good with the Pelicans? I like I like, I like the Lonzo. Lonzo shot two hundred threes this season. That was just the most he ever did in, in the last two years that he's been. In the so league. if it ain't, if ain't Kimba, then who who could be the point guard for the Pelicans? Because I don't think Lonzo will get a job though. I think personally. So who, if it ain't, why not Kimba? I just think Kimba. He like you say, he wants the ball in his hand. He wants to be able to be that scorer, but no, they already got two scores, Zion and Brandon Ingram. They need a legit facilitator that can score a little bit and facilitate a lot. I think the perfect team for Kemba Walker, I think the perfect team would be for Kemba Walker will be like, you know, no, nah, not the Lakers, not the Lakers. Clippers could be a good one too. 
like I, I would like him with the Clippers. Okay. Clippers would be a good one. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, that would be nice. Uh, he could come off the bench and you know give him like the score, like something he could he could fit that Lou Williams role. Hey, we need you to score, man. Yeah. Everybody, remember go follow Wise Guys on Twitter at Wise Guys underscore. Wait, y'all saw on Facebook Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys, Christopher McPhee's guys on sports. Before we get out of here, Clarence, I want to say Happy Juneteenth. That's a holiday okay. tomorrow. You know, yeah. then I'm I'm then I'm celebrating. You know, Happy Juneteenth, to everybody, and also Happy Father's Day to all the great fathers out there around the country sunday is our day don't let her don't let don't let her don't let yeah. her get you no cologne or no yeah. don't, don't, yeah. don't get no i don't want no cologne no body wash get, have her bring you a real gift she, hey make hey. the girl bring you a real hey, gift I, home i know my father's day gift. it better be something that i can watch. oh man i, I really appreciate give me that. something special on father's day because this is our day so yeah, it's our day and, and, everything. and take these fathers out somewhere nice because you know clarence you can't go nowhere on Mother's Day. Like on Mother's Day, everywhere, oh, everywhere booked up. You can't go nowhere on Mother's Day. So it ain't no excuse why you don't take your father out this Sunday on Father's Day. Because it's open is everywhere. Yeah. Okay, I don't think I you want to go to Bob Evans, Cracker Barrel, if you want to go to Outback. Okay, like just, just there's places everywhere you can get It's hard time, ladies. Hard time. Like, but everybody, have a great weekend. It's Wise Guy signing off. I'm Trey Larkins. He Clarence Nixon. Have a great weekend. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.